0: All right. Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing tonight? Wonderful, Wonderful. as we sit in a climate-controlled building, and uh, it's like ninety or whatever it is outside. Praise Jesus for air conditioning. And yes, God is good. He allows us. You know, I think of uh, Pastor Ted as he goes makes his way into China, and uh, he goes into the bunkers, and you know, uh, sixty-watt light bulb. And as they study the Bible 24 to 48 hours straight, they can't get enough of it. And by the end of the week, you know, the weekend like that, two days, uh, he says the smells cannot be described. So (laughs) praise God that we are well and able and and, and here. Go ahead and open your Bible. Uh, We have come as far as Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and one of the ushers will uh, bring you a Bible. Go ahead and raise your hand. Mom and dad, we got a Bible over there? We're going to get you one. All right. Everybody else on this side got a Bible? And a lollipop? All right, good. All right. Mamas need lollipops. I get it. Mama's the bee. We got two of them right there. So if you got an extra one, throw it to, you know, three rows back. She'll... All right. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to gather here tonight, Lord, to study your word. God, it's fitting that we look at uh, vows, Lord, the days that we're living. And Lord, the importance of our letting our yes be yes and our no be no. And what it is to swear an oath to you, Lord. God, we just don't want to ever take that lightly. Um, certainly, we're, you, you warn us about those things in, in your word, and um, Lord, as we study this again, we remember what you've told us. That all these things are for us today, Lord, and we, we do want to receive and hear what you have for us. We want to know, uh, Lord, from your heart, from your uh, warning, and, and really for your exhortation, Lord, how to, how to be more like you, Jesus, and how to represent your heart and mind in all that we do. So, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to be with us. We know it's in us already. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He lives in us. But we'd, we'd pray for a fresh filling here this evening as we go through your word, Lord. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. All right. Chapter 30. As we look at this, I mean, it's interesting that we came off of chapter 27 where we saw that women... Now we're entitled to inheritances, right? The, the law and the idea of Moses meeting with God and that if you didn't have a son or, or, or a male that way that, that the inheritance could be passed down to the next of kin, female or male for that matter. And as we read that, it's interesting because we're going to go into chapter 30 now as we see these laws that specifically concerning vows and the idea of, again, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Our, our God is certainly a promise keeper and he expects us to be promise keepers, okay? And so as we go through this, uh, I want you to take note specifically the different arrangements for the females or the women that way, okay? So, uh... You know, think back into the culture at that time. Uh, a woman was not allowed to necessarily bear public witness. That wasn't allowed. Now, we look at that and we think, wow, that's absolutely nonsense. That's not God's heart, right? And that was already proved out in the inheritance law. Because he came back and said, no, absolutely not. Women should be entitled just as men. Because it goes back to Genesis chapter 126 and 127. I created them male and female in the image of God. You see, I think that's what's beautiful about it because each has a different office and calling, not one better than the other. Isn't that God's heart and design for everything he does? so uh, it's, it's special and it has purpose so let's jump right here uh, jump right in here in verse 1 then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel saying this is the thing which the Lord has commanded so clearly God's authoring it if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement he shall not break his word he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house, in her youth, so we get some additional stipulations here, okay? And her father hears her vow in the agreement by which she has bound herself and her father holds his peace. In other words, doesn't say anything, um, okay? Then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she has bound herself shall stand. What do we have happening here, okay? What it is is that if you have a young girl and you have her in the house that way, and dad's home, and she, uh, by some means, vows herself to something. Well, I'm going to do this, or I make a pledge for this, or I, I have this agreement. And she agrees to do that, but certainly not able to keep that. You know, the father, through, you know, whatever understanding, why, why would you bind yourself or vow yourself to something like that? Um, certainly that's not God's heart. What, what should you do? Well, he says if he keeps his peace well, then it's binding. But if he doesn't keep his peace, then obviously she's released from that vow. You know, again, I think this is so special because without getting uh, sentimental, I don't know how else to say it, um, I think as a father, I, I, many of you know I have all boys, and I think the greatest privilege as a father I have and my wife along with me is to raise gentlemen. To raise men to know how to be gentlemen. To take care and to love and to protect the woman that God will send them. Okay? That, that is ordained from the Lord. And I believe that is. I believe that the women that my boys, if he should tarry, will marry will be directly handpicked by Jesus for my children. And I pray every day for that and for their children's children. I've already been praying three or four generations down because I'm covering it all in prayer. Well, I think it's beautiful that we see the example that when people try to say, well, you see what it says in Ephesians 5, how the man is to be, what, over the woman that way? And they misrepresent that text. The man is the pastor of the home. Absolutely. He is the one responsible to God that way for the conduct and the things coming into that home. And you will have to answer to Jesus for that. He's also responsible to his helpmate to protect her heart, her mind, her eyes, her ears, from seeing all these things that are perverse or all the things that could hurt her and harm her. And it's just a beautiful picture of our Father in heaven, how he takes in Psalm 91, he says his wings, and how you and I can come under those wings, and it's refuge, it's protection. I get choked up because that, to me, is a perfect example and a typology of unconditional love. And this is what God is trying to do here. He wants to so protect his daughters because he doesn't want the emotion of something because after all, he knows he created them differently, right? Male and female equal, but certainly women, I don't want to say have more emotions than men. I I, I don't certainly think every man and woman are different. You can't kind of make a generality like that. But what I do think is beautiful and precious is that I know my mother, for example, uh, always knew just when I'd walk in the house what kind of day I had before I even had to speak a word. And my father um, was working a lot of hours to, to be able to make it so my mother could be there and to, to be part of our family and to do everything. And my father, my father made a lot of sacrifices to be able to make sure that, you know, there was food on the table. You know, we didn't come from well-to-do means, okay? We had four brothers, one sister. There was a lot going on. We, we you know, many weeks praying, okay, Lord, how's this going to work out here? But I think it's a beautiful example of just God's reminding that he desires that that ladies would be covered and protected. And ladies, don't you really want that? I mean, I understand you have all the capabilities and intellect of a man. And nobody's, you know, nobody's describing anything different. But don't you want that beautiful covering from your father in heaven? I just think it's precious. It's his love. He wants it for you. And you shouldn't settle for anything less, by the way. You shouldn't settle for anything less in a marriage or in your courting or dating if you're younger and you're not married. Don't settle for God's second best. You wait for the guy that the Lord's going to send you that's going to treat you as the daughter of the God most high. Nothing else, okay? And that's, that's what I see here. It's so beautiful. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears and none of her vows on her agreement, verse 5, by which she has bound herself, she'll stand. And the Lord will release her as a good dad because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips, notice that, rash utterance. Something that maybe she's moved by an emotion, maybe she's caught in some type of of trickery or or, or, or beguilement by somebody and she so gently wants to say, oh, absolutely, we'll help her or whatever. If she's caught by that, God, what does he say? He says, And she's bound herself. And her husband hears it and makes no response to her on that day. He hears it, then her vow shall stand. Boy, ladies, are you paying attention? It's important, isn't it, to have a pastor of your home that has your love and you and your best interests at heart, isn't it? Isn't it? Because that's what it's supposed to look like. Your husband should be willing to die for you, you know, literally. Literally. And and also spiritually, in that in that aspect of laying down his rights, his, his liberty to be able to love you and care for you. That's beautiful. And ladies likewise, right? It's it's both ways. It's it's selfless living that promotes a godly marriage. It's selfless living. And so it says, in her, and again, I read in verse 7: her husband makes it and makes no response around that day, and hears it, well, then her agreement which she shall bind herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on that day, that he hears it, he shall make void her vow, which she took and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Now, what about women that are not married or they've been widowed or or, or divorced? Also, any vow of a widow or divorced woman by which she bound herself shall stand. You see, what this reminds me, ladies, it's again, God keeps his word and his promises. And, and so should you. And so should you, ladies. And, and if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeds from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response, whatever, to her from that day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all her agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does not make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. What is that saying now, men? I'm speaking to you now. That says accountability and responsibility before the Lord. You see, every guy, when he hears submission, says yes, yes. I want that. But do you understand that you're going to stand before Jesus Christ someday and you're going to give an account on that beautiful bride, that helpmate that he gave you on how you fed her, led her, and protected her with the word of God. Every man here is going to stand there and we're going to have to give an account to it. And I think about that. That's sobering, men. I mean, that's heavy. Your wives... Are, are, are you doing devotion time with them? Are, are you turning around and, and reading the Bible? Are you, are you coming to their, their needs when they're distraught or when they're, they're maybe anxious or overwhelmed about something? Or do you dismiss them? Well, you'll, you'll be okay in a few days. That'll wear off, you know? Absolutely not. God's showing us here accountability. Accountability. I, I, I love this. Men need to be men. Okay? No more Peter Pan syndrome. Men, men need to be men. You understand? You ever watch Peter? I'm wrecked by Disney or whatever it was. Whatever. You know, Peter Pan with the whole, you know, he wants to be a boy. You know? And men need to be men. You know, when, when the men were studying in the book of Nehemiah on Saturdays, you know, I, I always pictured that. That's why we called it the men in armor for the men's study. One hand on the sword. That's the sword of the spirit. And the other hand on the trowel. Isn't that what Nehemiah described was going on in the gates? One hand on the sword, the word of God to protect that home. And the other hand doing the work that needed to be done. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's what it's supposed to look like. Hmm. These are the statutes which the Lord God commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter, in her youth, in her father's house. It just reminds me of what uh, Jesus so perfectly said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Amen? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It also reminds me what we read. Remember we were in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10. You remember that? Specifically, the relationship between the heart and the mouth. That if you believe in your heart and you profess with your mouth. Notice the order of operation there. It begins in your heart. And then you speak it from your lips. I like that. The belief centers in your heart. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Now, I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat this. It's is a difficult chapter. This is a difficult chapter. I mean, trying to understand this chapter in light of the character of God is often diff- difficult because he is a long-suffering, loving God. But we also have to remember that judgment does come. There comes a time where God's long-suffering comes to a point and end and, and God happens to know what that is. It's not a time like we would think of a clock. Remember, he's outside of creation and outside of time that way, right? He came into creation, into time through his son, Jesus Christ. But, but he was outside of creation. It, it, he knows. Can I answer how he knows? No. His ways and his thoughts are beyond my thoughts and his, you know, my ways. I don't know. But, but somehow God knows that point where somebody has gone too far. You know, uh, uh, they've, they've gone too far for too long and there is no more time to come back. And, and I can't think of too many things that, that frighten me more than that. You know, when I think of the soul of individuals, you know, people we love and, and, and we know the truth. I mean, there's so much extra biblical evidence. I mean, Tactus or Zacchaeus, you know, uh, Josephus, all, I mean, if, if, they, if anybody would just study Just take a day, not even, take an hour, and go look at prophecy. 27% of your Bible is made up of prophecy. 100% of it has come true. Just on the messianic prophecies or promises of Jesus Christ, 44 of them, 44 of them you have in your Bible, over 1,800 in general, but 44 of them you have in your Bible that statistically, when you run it through a statistical model, that he would be, that the probability of anybody else. Normally, you can get maybe up to eight of them at any one time. And then from that point, nine through 44, it's statistically improbable. Now, when I say improbable, I'm talking one to the tenth power. Improbable. Okay? One to the tenth power improbable. That anybody could have fulfilled those. Last I checked, you and I didn't get to choose where we were born. Right? Jesus of Nazareth, from the line of Judah. I didn't, get chose, I didn't get to choose what family line I would come from. On and on and on. These are not things that he could have premeditated or somehow manipulated. These, there is so much proof. It's, it's, it's beyond contestation. I don't make claims like that so broadly, but anybody that would study or look even at the archaeology You know, go back and look at the artifacts. Look at the science that's within your Bible that man is just catching up to. That the Bible has already declared. I think of the sun and the rotation of the sun. I think of the earth and whether it's flat or round. I mean, we can go, I could spend all night apologetically going through this, but we wouldn't get through chapter 31, right? But the reality is, is that there's more than enough proof. Faith is only as good as what you place your faith in right is it yourself or is it the god of the universe you will make a choice everybody does and it has eternal consequences and and we don't stand here i don't stand here as saying this as though wow we have it they don't i mean my heart and desire as jesus christ has already explained in his word is that all are welcome all have been invited The work on the cross was for every single person. That if they would just humble themselves, they would realize that all have fallen short of the glory of God, according to his rules, commandments, and statutes. Right? It's not, can can I say it this way for you all? We're not too far from D.C. I was just at the White House last week, so I got democracy. I got the republic on my mind. It's not the democracy of heaven. It's not the Republic of Heaven, friends. It's the kingdom. And there's a monarch, and he's a king. And he decides the commandments and statutes. He's the one that lays those out. And we have a choice, free will, to believe or not to believe. That's the rub. And that's our heart's desire, isn't it, that everybody would, why wouldn't we want? I mean, when you really boil it down, why wouldn't anybody want to trust Jesus Christ, right? He loves you. He's died for you. And he's prepared a place for you for all of eternity. What's wrong with that? I mean, find a negative on it, huh? He did what we couldn't do. He gave what we couldn't give. He loved us so we could love him. <laughs> what What else is there to say about that, right? Other than amen, so be it. Well, That's why this is is difficult when we come to this chapter because here we read about the vengeance on the Midianites, right? If you remember, um, we're talking about really the Moabites and the Midianites as they commingled. And what had happened is this people, and we can read about it, the Canaanites had been practicing, what? Worship to Moloch. Do you remember that? And what they would do And and as horrific as this is, I I, I don't think there's too many young, young people in here tonight. So I think they would literally take, they had a statue, they would heat it up till it was red and hot with fire, 1,100 or more degrees. And they would take a baby and they would sacrifice the baby by putting it, these pagans, they would put it into the arms, killing, scorching that baby on fire by the time. And then they would often take and bury it into the wall of the house, which is why we read in Leviticus about a house that was leprous or moldy because it had human remains, Do you understand how wicked and evil this is? God is going to judge that. God is going to be long-suffering that they would turn from their ways. But there comes a point of judgment where he can't let it happen any longer because they're his children and he knit them in their mother's womb and there's a plan for each and every one of them. And so, judgment must come. I want you to keep that in mind in the context of the people we're talking about. These aren't a people that were just freely occupying. They were practicing wickedness. You can go, University of Penn, not too far from us, U Penn here, they have a museum there. You, you can go into the museum and you can, you can look at some of the, annals of of their history that they've got documented on the, the specifically the Moabites or the Midianite people the, the venereal diseases and the things that they that wiped out you know populations because of the sexual immorality and the things they were doing and oh by the way this wasn't adults the, they would introduce these to six and five and four-year-old kids horrific things That some of our psychiatrists and psychologists today are saying, it's normal. It is not normal. God judged it once and he will judge it again. I want you to understand the people we're talking about. You tracking with me? I want you to think about how many years, hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years that have gone on as they were doing this. And he says, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterwards, you shall be gathered to your people. Now, he will, and he doesn't mean right away, but he will be gathered to his people. This, this will be, well, this and, and one other act will be his last public act that Moses will do here. But if you remember back in Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 through 15, you remember what happened. Balaam contrived because he couldn't curse the people. He turned around wickedly and figured another way. He says if, to Balak, "If you send the Moabite or the Midianite women in, and you seduce the men, and you have relations with them, they will. You will then You will then basically plague the whole people of Israel because they're supposed to be holy and set apart. So, do you see the direct attack?" That, that was going on this and so this is exactly what you, you, you should be remembering as we're going through this so Moses spoke to the people saying arm some of yourselves for the war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian right in Midian in the Bible circle it Write it in your notes Midian is always a direct uh, much like Egypt is always a direct typology or a picture of the world it's always signif- signifying of the world so, so it's kind of like the God's judgment on the world here. He's showing us what this will look like, right? A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel, you shall send to war. So that's obviously 12,000. So, so they were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Now they had how many again? 600,000 men that were 20 years and old, that were war enabled, if I could say that. But only 12,000 were being called to this, okay? Only 12,000 here. Then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. Isn't that interesting? The the one leading, he's going, but he's sending them, and he's sending them with the priest. This is a spiritual war. Do you see that here? This is a spiritual war. God isn't going and just crying out war on a people for no reason. This is a declaration of their pagan idol, wickedness, and judgment. That's why we see this with the priests going out that way. Okay, And he says to them, the son of Eleazar, right, the tr- with what? With the holy articles, we're not really sure what exactly those are. Some think, is that the Ark of the Covenant? The beginning of when the Ark of the Covenant would now be carried out or brought in? What, what exactly are these holy articles? It could be that and other things. And the signal of the trumpets in his hand. They would have silver trumpet that they would go out and they would blow the trumpet, signaling what? War. To go into battle, Okay. So that's what, that's what he's, he's speaking about. And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi Rechem, Zer, Hur, Reba, you know. The five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of what? Just so we know we're talking about Beor. They also killed him with the sword. Why? Because he was a carnal prophet. As we had read, it was all about money for him. As though he could somehow, you know, entice people to pay money for the work of God. You know, to, to give him money that he would bless the people or curse the people. In this particular case of Balak with Balaam. Will God finally judge that as well? Okay. 20, chapter 2310, if you want to go back and read about Balaam, Balak And the children... Of Israel took the women of Midian captive. Now that was common to the custom of that day. They would take the women, they would take the children, and they would bring them captive. And then obviously they would uh, bring them and you know eventually sometimes intermarry or not marry, but they would you know take care of them that way. They wouldn't harm them. But you have to understand what what in context here what these women did. These were the women that seduced the men of Israel. You. Common sense says you don't bring them back into the tribe, right? Are you with me? Because what's going to happen? Further, sexual immorality. It's going to spread, right? A little leaven leavens the lump. Okay, spoils the lump. So this is what we're seeing happen here. Normally, that would be, and we're going to see Moses is going is to demonstrate or is going to show his anger again, right? We know, again, meekest man alive had some anger issues right some anger issues he's going to deal with it but but he's going to challenge him and said why would you do that why would you bring these women back that brought a plague a disease against all of our people and men why would you reinfect them this way why would you do that I mean it defies common sense almost if I can say it that way and so they took the Midian, uh, these women captive with their little ones, and they took the spoil, their cattle, and all their flocks, and all their goods. We're going to read, you know, how much that was. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt, and all their forts, and they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Then they brought the captives, the booty, the spoil, to Moses, Teleazar the priest, and the con- to the congregation of children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho do you see how close they are to the promised land now they're right there they're right about to go in so before they go in the promised land God is going to deal with this sin issue right that's that's the point here and Moses Eleazar the priest and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp circle verse 14 please but Moses was angry he was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over the thousand and the captains over the hundreds who would come from the battle. Why would Moses be angry? And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Again, due to the sexual immorality of what was going on at that time, look, these women caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague. Can you forget the plague? Remember Phineas had taken the staff and he had gone in and what did he do? He caught the daughter of one of the chief Midianites having sexual immorality relations in the tent. And stabbed directly through both. Doing what? Showing a zealousness of God. Certainly we weren't encouraging anybody here to do that, right? We know that's not what we would do. God says vengeance is his that's not for us to take into our hands, but clearly Phineas and God looked at Phineas and said, What your zeal, right? It represented God's heart because he was zealous for the Lord and the ways of the Lord that way, right? I just want you to, you know, remember this this is the plague he's talking about, about the congregational Lord. And again, if you if you if you want to challenge any of this, you're here, you're two hours from Philly, drive to U Penn. They, they've got the museum there. You can look at all the ar- artifacts. You may not want to look. You can look at these things. You can read about this. This is history. This isn't happenstance. This isn't a story. This is a biblical account that's based on history. This happened. Like I said, you can look at the veneer. I mean, it's, it's all there. You can see what and how it destroyed the sexual morality. So much of the, of, of the people, and so God's trying to protect his people. Do you see that? We had just come off how God was protecting the daughters with that had taken vows because he wanted them to be cherished and protected. How is this any different what God our Father is doing for Israel? He's protecting them from the sexual immorality, from the de- disease, the pestilence, right? Do we do that much different today? If someone comes into this country, right, and, or leaves this country and they happen to catch a a, a disease, maybe a a communicable disease, right, on an airplane, you know, wherever you're, okay. What do we do? We use, we quarantine them, don't we? So that we do what? We stop the spread of disease because otherwise it could turn into a pandemic or a plague. We, We don't have any problem with that, do we? We don't think that's insensitive to quarantine somebody that's sick. You know, I, I got four boys, right, from 18 all the way down to eight. When somebody gets sick, especially if it's the stomach bug, man, we draw the line of the stomach bug in my house. You're on your own. You get the stomach bug, you're quarantined to your room. That's it, man. We'll, we'll slide food under the, the thing, you know, but you stay there. You got your own bathroom. We won't bother you. When you're better, yell. You know, signal. Signal somehow, Right. My wife was in here, she'd be going, amen. I'm telling you, absolutely. You, that stuff's, that plague, man. So, now therefore, kill every male among the little ones. Now, this, this is where I told you, this is a difficult chapter. Verse 17, this is hard. This is hard. I'm not, this is difficult. It's hard for us to reconcile the God we know in the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament, with this comment here in verse 17. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones. If you don't know the context, and you didn't know the history, and as I mentioned, you didn't know the pagan and the idols and Molech and all the worship that went on and the sexual immorality and how they took these kids in four and five and six years old and they basically prostituted them. Excuse, they raped, they did horrible things, okay? If you didn't know that, this would seem cruel. But you also need to know the custom at that time If somebody came and harmed you, or your family like that, or they murdered your father, the son would do what? He was to avenge the father's death, right? Did we see a whole lot different for Israel in that? As a matter of fact, didn't God create cities of refuge, whether it was an accident or it was premeditated, that you could go as an Israelite and you could go, you know, as a city of refuge for protection so that if something had happened, you were working in the yard, swinging an ax and somebody, oop, you know, something horrible had happened, you could go to a city of refuge like that and not be avenged. So, So clearly that was the custom of that day. That was what was happening in that day. And so I want you to think about this for a minute. You bring all the little ones in, and again, I know this is difficult, As they grow older, they're growing with Israel. They're going to grow up. Don't you think they're going to avenge, especially if that's the custom of that day, the fathers, murderers that way, or killers? And what's that going to do to Israel? Is that not going to create division and rip them all apart? Yes, it will. Was this God's desire and heart for the Midianite people? No. What was his heart? that they would have left their pagan practices, turned to God, and did what was righteous. Not murdering children. Not hurting people that way. But there is a righteous judgment. And I want to appeal to everybody here for a minute before we judge God wrongly, and I know this is... People leave churches over this passage, okay? I want you to understand that. This is real. People leave churches over passages like this because they get to this passage, they don't know the context... The pastor may not explain the context, you know. He's moving on. And people think, well, what kind of God is that that would do something like that to a people? That's real love, actually. He's a protective God, a good father. If somebody broke into your house, I want all your eyes up here for that. I want your hearts and your eyes for a minute. Somebody breaks into your house, they're going to hurt your loved one, your child, your parent, your daughter, your, your spouse, Are you going to turn around and say, go ahead and hurt them? Absolutely not. The Bible says if you don't care for your family, you're worse than what? An infidel. Are you not to protect your family? Yes, you are. No one's to harm your loved ones that way. Notice a defensive posture compared to an aggressive posture. Do you see the difference, Lo? We're talking a defensive posture. You're defending, protecting your family that way just like our country's gone to war, to protect the freedom and the people and the liberty. Okay? It's context matters. Context matters a whole lot. So when we read this, if that was in your home right now, what's the right judgment? Would you turn around and say, no, you know, go ahead and just do horrible, you know, I don't want you to even think that. But you understand. what? you know, you're not going to just sit idly by Even if you're going to minimally flee, okay? You're not going to stand, you're going to minimally get away from harm. Or what are you going to do? You're going to take your loved ones, pastors of your home, men. Men, what are you going to do? You're going to take your loved ones and you're going to put them in a safe place and you're going to present yourself in harm's way. Amen? Men? That's real love. So, this is what we're talking about here. He's he's coming in, he's protecting his children. These little ones, he knows they're going to go up and they're going to kill the Israelites. That's what they're going to do. They're going to avenge their father and kill every woman who has known a man intently. Why? Because of the disease, the venereal diseases that they would then pass on, right? And they're going to infect and kill, you know, through plagues, all of these. He says, no, it ends now. It ends now. That's that's what he says here. He says, but keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. God doesn't want to harm the little girls that that didn't do anything wrong because of what, the sins of her parents? And they're without sin and they're not going to pose any harm to the children of Israel? Absolutely not. He says, save them, keep them alive. Why? Because they may end up worshiping Jehovah, Jehovah, right? God, Yahweh, Jesus, right? That, that's the hope here, right? That they, they would get saved. We'll read later passages when he says, and those that are in your home, those that have been visitors, those that are, you know, your prison, you know, whatever, you know, that way. He, he's going to go through and he's going to describe. These are the people he's talking about. The other inhabitants that are not Israelites, right? So he says, look, And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever had killed any person and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, every woven of goat's hair, everything made of wood. Right? It's all for the good. It's all for the good. Then Eleazar the priest, said to the men of war who had gone out to the battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. They needed to be purified. Only the gold, silver, and bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with water of purification but all that cannot endure the fire you shall put through water and all shall wa- and you all shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean and afterward you may come into the camp i want you to think about something for a minute it, it's interesting here as i as i kind of go through this i i can't help but think job job chapter 23 verse 10 do you remember how It's described that the fire and the trial, it it produces something in the believer. What does it do? It purifies. When you heat that fire, salted fire, we say something. You You ever take a fire campfire and you put salt on it? What's it do? What happens when you take a metal and you put it at high heat? The impurities begin to do what? Melt off first. It's called dross. And you take it off the top, and they're the weaker elements or minerals of that metal. And you scoop them out. What remains is what? Pure. Do you see that? What remains is pure. And water. I want you to think of Ephesians 5, verse 26. What What does God tell us the water can all represent? The water of the, or the word. Right? The word of God. So what do we see here? Trials and the word of God do what? Produce purity. Don't pray yourself out of the trial. Pray Jesus into the trial. Don't go into the trial looking for a way out. Go into the trial with your word and see what God wants to show you. That's the helmet of salvation. It's not the temporal but you're looking at the eternal. I know it's difficult. Look, I don't sit up here. I know many of you, some of you, are going through difficult things. You have had things in your lives that I can't possibly understand. Uh, you know, rape. I can't understand that. The the horrifying feeling. You know, all of these things that you've experienced in your lives. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And you look at why. That's the wrong question. What God, what comes through that evil, we don't understand in this life. But what comes through that evil, God makes for good. There are people that you end up meeting that go through similar circumstances that don't know God, that don't know why these things happen and why would a good God allow these things to happen because we're living in a fallen world with thorns and thistles and this was never God's plan. Cancer is not God's plan. Abortion is not God's plan. The things that happen in this, the evil that gets blamed on God are not part of his plan. This earth, as we just read Sunday, is dying and passing away. There are people that would want to save more, and I'm not. Look, I love the animals, too, man. I love cats and dogs. Well, I don't like cats. I like dogs. I'm not going to lie. I won't say I lie. Look, if I don't see another cat, I'm okay with it, all right? If you cat people, I apologize, all right? But I'm being real. Dogs, look, all right. Other animals, okay, fine. I forgot where I was going with this. (laughs) The point I'm getting at, right? Cats are evil. No, that's not the point. All right, I thought I thought I thought I was going to save it there. No, the the what, what am I talking about, though? That people get so caught up in saving these animals and everything else that's going, you know, that's dying and de- and yet, abortion, and they'll allow babies to be murdered, and yet, you, what about? I'm getting older. Some of you might be getting older, too. I'm Not all of you. I know some of you got the fountain of youth there somewhere, right? But, but, but I'm getting older, and some of us are getting older in here, and guess what? You, you watch what they're doing. You'll watch the policies and the politics of this land. It was one time, oh, we're just, you know, it's the children and the choice of the woman, and, you know, again, rape, different, okay. That's between you and Jesus. I pray adoption. I pray adoption always, okay, because there's so many people that want babies and children that can't have their own babies and children. Okay, if, if you hear this right now and you're praying, c- come call us. Call, call me. I'll talk with anybody. Uh, the, 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 this is God's child. he birthed in you. He doesn't want anything to happen to that child. You know, call the church. You know, call the Capillary Pregnancy Center. It's a mile or two down the road. We love those babies. We'll give them a good home. Amen? We'll give them a good home. Well, I want you to think about this. Now, it's not going to be just, well, we started seeing it over the last administration. I'm not going to get into the politics. But we started seeing the idea that if you get a certain age, up to a certain age, we had somebody in the fellowship's mom had uh, cancer. They were told by a certain age or date that if they didn't make a decision for a, a certain uh, drug, to, to, you know, something like that, that it would no longer be available if they, didn't, if they waited as though we're now putting monetary, uh, you know, some type of qualification on the life of an individual that God has created. And it was around 70. It wasn't like it was 80, 90, 100. You're still young at 90, right? It wasn't like that. It was 70. For some of us, that's 10 years, five years. Some of us were there, man. And so what? So you're thinking to yourself, okay. So is this what's coming? Is this what's coming? Yeah, it is. And you need to be paying attention, Christian. You need to be patient, paying attention, friend. They're, they're valuing what our lives are worth. And right now, you might think, I hope you don't. Oh, well, that's a baby. And, you know, it's not, no, it's got a heartbeat, right? From, I mean, do the, do the research there. And you might think, well, this is a person, you know, well, guess what? It doesn't matter. Where do you draw the line now somebody's 60 and 50, so we don't, we don't think they, they, they need a transplant because ultimately if you're 30 or 40, then it's okay. Is that what God wants? Who do, you, who do you think helped them to discover this technology? I don't know if you follow Israel. They've been working on a cure for cancer. They have got such a progressive cure right now. They think it'll be in our state or the states here in two years. And it can go through and look at the stem cells. That's where much of the cancer grows from. And they believe they can attack it at the stem cell using our own bodies, what God has already created. And it's amazing. There's also, I don't know if you saw just this week alone, they also now, those for kidney transplant, they're saying that in two to three years, the dialysis may be obsolete. That, yeah, that it won't require, they've actually got, Can I use the word a bionic if I say it that way? Some of us are wrecked by bionic man or woman growing up. But they got so they can take a technology and and they can make a kidney. They they can literally create a kidney. And and what do you think? You think this all just, you know, they're they're it just comes to them? They're just sitting around, okay. Well, it'd be neat if I just made a kidney today. I mean, God, He gives all these things, and many of them are believers and some of them are and God gets the glory through all of it. Well, well, back to our text, I mean, I just want us to see and think about this, that that so many of us look at these trials, look at these difficulties and we don't realize that God, you know, he's doing, he's purifying us because only the gold, silver, and bronze, that's it. And if it can't be then, it's got to be washed with the word. Otherwise, it's got to be burned in the fire. Those are the two choices. Do you see that? If it can't withstand the fire, then it's got to be washed with the word. That's what we see here, washed with the water. But if it can withstand the fire, then what? Then it needs to be heated up and purified. More like Jesus, ever decreasing. Right? You know what I mean? Ever decreasing. Then Eleazar, the the priest said to the men of the war, Who had gone on to the battle? This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Again, only the gold, silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, and shall be purified with water purification. But all cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day, and be clean, and afterwards you may come into the camp. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Saying, Count up the plunder that was taken of the man and beast. You and Eliezer are the priests and the chief of the fathers of the congregation. What is God going to teach them? God is going to teach them how to be givers. That's what he's going to do here. And divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war and those who went out in battle and all the congregation. Now I know somebody here is going, Wait a minute. The 12,000 that went out, that did all the heavy killing and lifting, right? They should get everything. And what about the other 12,000? Look, I'm not pushing socialism or communism, okay? I don't want, I want to be very clear here. What I see here is God is trying to make sure there's no pirating, nothing with greed. That's what I see here. He doesn't want pirates created out of this, where then they go off and start killing people just to get their wealth You know, that's not God's heart and desire, right? So he says, and divide the plunder in two parts. Again, those that went to war and the congregation, right? The other Uh, 2.5 million. And the levy, a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle, one of every, what, 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkey, and the sheep. Again, he's teaching them how to be givers. Take it from their half and give it to Eleazar the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, from all the livestock, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses. The booty remaining from the plunder, which the men of war had taken, was 675,000 sheep 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. And of the half, the portion of those who had gone out to war was in the number 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eleazar the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. And from the children of Israel, half which Moses separated from the men who fought. Now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep. 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and one that could talk. I once heard Pastor uh, I think it was Pastor Chuck that said that. And 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel, half Moses took one of every 50 drawn from man and beast and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of the thousands and the captains of the hundreds, came near to Moses. And they said to Moses, your servant have taken account of the men of war who are under our command and not a man of us is missing. How about that? 12,000 men went out, 12,000 men came back, and not one of them was harmed because God was guiding. Where God leads, he protects where God leads, he protects. Therefore, we have brought an offering from the Lord, what every man found of an ornaments of gold, armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces to make an atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eleazar the priest, received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering they offered to the Lord from the captains of the thousands and the captains of the hundreds, was 16,750 shekels. I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot, a lot of money. The men of war had taken a spoil, every man for himself, and Moses and Eliezer the priest, received the gold from the captains of the thousands and the hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. Now just think about that. Their southeast or they're east, really, of the Jordan. They're going to be making their way over. We're we're going to close there for tonight. But here they are. They're going to make their way over into the promised land. For God guides, what's he do? He provides. Doesn't he tell us that about the talents, too, in in the parable? You know, the 10, 5, and 1. Those that really didn't invest for the kingdom, well, they didn't do, you know, it was taken away. And it was given to the one that, at 10, right, to reinvest in the kingdom of God right? Do you see that? That's not just talking about finances. That's talking about your heart. That's talking about your heart. Because where your heart is, there too will be your treasure. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Go ahead and read next week, chapter 32, 33. And then we will, uh, following week, as the Lord should lead, we'll uh, close out 34, 35, and 36. We're getting close, and then we'll begin the book of Deuteronomy. We're making our way. God is leading us. So we talked about a lot tonight, right? The Lord showed us a lot in here. One about how he guides, how he leads, how he protects. But he also showed us about a, a people that were an abomination, a people that hardened their hearts, that wouldn't listen to God's correction people that were Canaanites, that were worshiping, you know, pagan gods that they had made with their own hands. How illogical is that? You think about that for a minute. You craft something with your hands, you make it. Do you sit down and bow down and start praising it? Is that mental? Can I just say it that way simply? Mental? Are you with me? Is it illogical to do that? Of course it is. It's ignorant. It's ignorance. But you look at most of the vast religions today And you can look at demigods and the thousands and thousands of gods the Hindus and everything. And what are they doing? They're making these things with their hands and they're bowing down and worshiping them. Meanwhile, there's the God, definite article, Jesus Christ, who's loved them, who's died for them. In his heart's desire, even tonight, is that if we humble ourselves and we cry out and ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord, he'll receive us into the kingdom of God. There's no special prayer. There's no song and dance. There's no tapping of your stomach and rubbing your head a certain way like a genie. God made it Jesus and Jesus alone. Faith, right? Tonight, he said in his word, and as we've read in his word, his faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If a people would have humbled themselves and turned back towards Christ or turned back towards Yahweh that way, I know, and I say that I know, I know God's heart because I watched it with the Assyrians, Nineveh. If they would humble themselves and turn back, would God not spare them and their land? It's when we humble our hearts. That's why the revival begins in here. And it can begin here tonight. I don't presume that everybody here has asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. I don't know. My heart's desire is that every one of you have. Because it's going to be the greatest family reunion ever, man. You like family reunions? We're going to get up there. Jesus is going to be doing the wedding feast of the Lamb. He's going to open the Bible. And we're going to have a real Bible study with Christ. How about that, right? The road to Emmaus, man. My heart's desire is I want you there. You know, I want you there, selfishly. I want you there, and Jesus wants you there more. He died for you. Today is the day of salvation. I'd like us to just ask bow our heads, and we'll just pray, and if there's anybody here tonight that wants to ask Jesus, just stay where you are. It's between you and the Lord. All I ask is if you want to come up afterwards and let us know, I'll just give you a Bible. I just want to give you a Bible discipleship. discipleship. No, no, I don't want, you know, I just want you to be blessed. I want you to know that you know that tonight no matter what happens, when you walk out of here, you could get hit by a car. You could have a heart attack. You will be with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent with the body, present with the Lord. I want that for everybody here tonight. I want that for everybody watching this, whether they're in you know, any of the states around the world or hearing this on the radio. That's my heart's desire. And I know that's all of your desires that are believers here. I know that's your desire. So you bow your head with me tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. As you just overheard, God, we are desiring, we are coming expectant. And, Lord, we pray that, Lord, anybody, Lord, that would humble themselves here tonight, Lord, anywhere around the world that has heard your truth, your love, and your mercy for those that will turn away from the pagan god of Moloch or the pagan god of Mammon. Lord, worshiping money or physical objects or even their own lives. That Lord, tonight, they would lay that down at your feet, Jesus, and they would ask you simply, Lord, be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and dwell with me. That I will live again with you for all of eternity. And nothing will remove me from your hands because nothing can separate me from the love of my Father. Father, I pray have your way in your people here. Create divine appointments. Lord, I pray even right now, move on the hearts of your people. And I ask and pray this. We all do collectively, Lord, the bride of Christ. As I know heaven will rejoice even right now as another one of your beloved enters into paradise. We pray and we ask this in your holy name, Jesus. And all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Have a good evening and I look forward to seeing you all on uh, Sunday as the Lord should lead. If he doesn't come and get us tonight. Amen. Amen. And if you did ask Jesus to come in your heart, I'd pray, come up and let me know. We just want to pray with you. Pray a blessing over that. I want to get a Bible in your hand. Amen.